Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brian Tarvin, joined tonight with co-host Jonathan Miklos, and we are one step closer to the college football season, the last show of, of July, and it means one more month away. NFL preseason starting soon. The college's practices are about to get heated up, and it's football time in the South. It's hot, but hopefully we'll get that chill like Kenny Chesney talked about, and we'll know it's football time. Man, I'm I'm getting excited. It's it's been a long year, but Jonathan, I don't know about you, man, but what what the end of July means to me is finally it's football. Yeah, no, it, that's exa- exactly. I mean, you know, we had the NFL. Uh, we had the Hall of Fame game coming up in about a week, which is really the start of. Oh my gosh, we're actually here. There's real football being played, even though it is preseason. Uh, I, I just can't wait. I'm so excited. I'm, I've really delved into all my preseason magazines and starting to make my predictions. Yeah, it's prediction time, and, you know, it's just so close now. But the, the thing is, once football season gets here, man, it just – the rest of the year is gone. It just flies by so fast. So that's why we're so excited just to finally make it to football season. And, and Jonathan, I mean, now if your team's made it so far, you know, without – too many arrests and everything. You can kind of breathe easy with that part of it, but what about the injuries this time of year when practices start, you know, initially starting two, three a days, and these injuries can pile up quick? Uh, it, it always seems like a star player goes down. Last year was Braxton Miller. Uh, you know, everybody's holding their breath, hoping that this isn't, you know, going to happen to them. Uh, this year, I, I, you know, you just you just pray that you know the coaches and the training staff know we can keep them healthy because we you know you're gonna need everybody you can on the field come fall time. You know, as we've seen, you need Jets, you know, to, to be a, a big time contender in college football. That is the key. I mean, depth is key because you're gonna have injuries, and uh, it's just the way it goes. I mean, if you can stay somewhat healthy and you can build some depth along the way, you're going to have a chance to win the championship tonight. We're going to talk about three teams that, you know, some people think have a shot to make it. You know, some people don't think they have a shot this year. We're going to start in the Big Ten tonight, Michigan State. Um, You know, everybody's talking about Ohio State right now, but there's a team in there that's very good, Michigan State. We're going to go to the SEC Conference and talk about Texas A&M out of the West, and then we're going to go out to Eugene, Oregon, Jonathan, and talk about the Oregon Ducks. So out of those three teams, how many do you think really have a shot to make the playoff? Uh, I think Michigan State has a has a, definitely has a strong shot. Uh, and I think Oregon has a chance. A&M, um, it's going to be interesting to watch them this year because 
you know, we saw how bad their defense was and how their season just imploded. So I'm I'm really interested to see how John Chavis can turn around that A&M defense if he can, if he can, you know, bring the success he's brought with him from uh, Tennessee and LSU, then A&M could be a serious contender this year. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I was thinking the same thing, and we'll talk about this, but, you know, can you turn around? It's like Muschamp at Auburn. What was they going to be able to do year one? And it's just, it's, it does. I mean, you look at Auburn's offense, you look at A&M's offense, just imagine if they had a defense to go with it. So one of these, one of the teams, Auburn or Texas A&M, is going to have a big splash on defense this year. We'll just have to find out who it is, Jonathan. But I mean, those three teams tonight, I think, you know, I think all three of them could make the playoff. That's how strong they are. I mean, you know, Oregon with their system in the Pac-12, they they don't have a lot of talent, but for some reason they just play fundamentally sound. And A&M, man. I mean, with the many points that they can score if they do get a defense, I don't see a reason why they could win the SEC West unless they can find a running game. I mean, unless they can't find one. That's what worries me about Texas A&M. Can they run the football? We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But, Jonathan, in the NFL coming up, I heard Russell Wilson's getting paid. Give me what you know on that. Uh, from what I've heard right now, there's an offer on the table for Russell Wilson. Uh, it would be $21 million a year, making him one of the highest-paid uh, quarterbacks in the league. Obviously, it's not in the same stratosphere as what Flacco's looking at in the back end of his contract. Um, Russell Wilson, his whole thing is he wants his whole contract guaranteed, just like uh, Mariota got. <laughs> now, the problem is Mariota got $24 million guaranteed over five years, Russell wants 20-plus million guaranteed every year. And I, I think, you know, he needs to sit down with, with the team, put the agent aside, put the ego aside, and have a conversation about what is best for Russell Wilson as a pro to continue to win. Because the problem is, he's a free agent after this year. Somebody would gladly overpay for him. I'm looking at you, Cleveland. Uh, and he hasn't proven that he is a Peyton Manning-esque quarterback. He's not a top-five quarterback. He's an excellent game manager on a great team. Exactly. And, and look, I'm, I've been saying it all along, most overrated quarterback in the NFL, Russell Wilson. You Look, you're not going to get $20 million guaranteed to be a game manager. I'm sorry. He's not even top ten in my opinion. He's a game manager. He can, he can do play action very well. He can tuck it down and run some, but – at the end of the day, you have 80 yards to go, Jonathan, in two minutes. Is Russell Wilson really a quarterback you want to be behind center to get you 80 yards downfield? No. Uh, <laughs> just, just a nice way of putting it, no way. He's not He's not that guy for me. No, I mean, it, and, and look, I mean, he could hurt himself. You know, it's always good to value yourself. You know, but it would be like me walking into my office tomorrow and said, I need a million dollars guaranteed right now or I'm walking. They'd be like, well, walk, have fun, <laughs> you know, and, and so he better be careful because if he starts acting like he's worth this kind of money, then teams are going to stay away from him, I think, because, I mean, you and I are smart, but we don't, we don't, we're not there on the field with these people. We don't, we don't know what's going on with that. So if we think, if we know what's going on with Russell Wilson, what do you think his teammates and the coaches, the GMs, and actually, actually all the coaches and defensive coaches across the league, what do they think of it? I mean, it's not a secret. He's not a great quarterback. 
No, it's it's not by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, in all honesty, we saw it in um, the NFC Championship game where you know, if a couple bounces don't go their way, they're not in that game. You know, and, and that, that's the reality. He was playing terribly. Uh, that defense was walking his dog, and then all of a sudden momentum just slipped. And I'm, I'm a firm believer if Aaron Rodgers is healthy, there's no way uh, Seattle comes away with mm-hmm. that victory. And in the Super Bowl, he didn't put the team on his back. The defining play of that Super Bowl is he threw an interception. You know, whether it's a great play by the cornerback or not, he threw an interception, and everybody was screaming to run the football. And that tells you everything right there where, you know, Peyton Manning in that situation, they want Peyton Manning to throw that ball. Tom Brady, Andrew Luck, they want those guys to have the ball in their hands. Um, you know, with one yard to win a, win a championship, people wanted the ball in Marshawn Lynch's hands and not his. And do you blame him? I, I know. Not not by any stretch of imagination. Uh, there, there's no proof that, I mean, Russell Wilson to me is always going to be the quarterback that was going to get benched for Mike Glennon and decided to bounce NC State to go to Wisconsin and couldn't deliver there. He couldn't even win a Rose Bowl there. And that's that's a great point. And you know, when when I think of great elite quarterbacks that are worth that kind of money, I think of Aaron Rodgers, I think of Brady, Manning. I don't I just can't think of Wilson and and to me it's just I don't know, like you, you said, I mean he wasn't even gonna win the job at N C State. He gets to Wisconsin, they can't even win a Rose Bowl, but yet now he got on a, a good Seattle team with one of the best defenses in a long time in the NFL, a great running game great offensive line, and they win a Super Bowl, and he's supposed to, to make $20 million. Come on. I mean, put Cam Newton on the Seattle Seahawks, Jonathan. What do you have? Uh, you know, I, I, you have a team that's just as good, if not better. I believe Cam Newton is a superior quarterback to Russell Wilson. I mean, yeah, I, I do too as well. I mean, put – I mean, and I know you're not a big Matt Ryan fan, but put Matt Ryan in Seattle. What do you have? You have Matt Ryan throwing the receivers that probably look a lot better all of a sudden. Russell Wilson has the Michael Vick effect where people keep saying, get him more receivers, get him more receivers. He needs more receivers. In all reality, they just need a better quarterback. Yeah, look look at the Patriots. I mean, name me three great receivers they've had in Tom Brady's career. I bet you can't, but he makes it happen without those receivers. I mean, exactly. I mean, the best receivers that he had was Randy Moss in the tail end of his career. And, and, and again, Moss had a great season in 2007, but it was at the tail end of his career. Wes Walker was and a good receiver Rangers. he had. Yeah, oh, yeah. Moss set records while he was in New England. No doubt about that. But, I mean, you got Moss when he was in his mid to late 30s. It's not like you got Moss in his prime. Uh, Wes Walker <laughs> was phenomenal in his role as a slot receiver. For, for Brady, but he was strictly a slot receiver. This wasn't a guy he could stretch out wide. And then who are you going to give me? Troy Brown, Dante Stallworth, David Terrell. I mean, these were all guys that you could substitute, and we saw New England do it. David Patton, Bethel Johnson, David Terrell, Troy Brown, they just kept rotating guys in and out like that for the first three Super Bowls. So Brady hasn't had a lot to work with as far as wide nope. So Look at Indianapolis with Manning. You're going to tell me Pierre Garçon and Austin Collier – uh, and Brandon Stokely are our great receivers. James yep. Jones they, is a great receiver for Peyton Long Manning. Rogers. Peyton Manning made uh, him good. Exactly. And Russell Wilson has yet to make his receivers look good. And that's the bigger problem here. He's not a quarterback. 
he's not a true pocket passing quarterback. He's an excellent game manager like Alex Smith is. You know, and, and he's, he's, he reminds me a lot of Alex Smith. And I think Kansas City gave Alex Smith a lot of money. And I've heard rumblings. They've already, they've already looking at it going, we've overpaid. How do we get out of this? So there you go. <laughs> Russell Wilson is Alex Smith. Just a little more mobile. Yeah. I mean, he does good when people load up to stop the run and he can dump it off to a wide open receiver. Like, you know, that's how he gets his passing yards. Or, you know, everybody's covered. He takes off running, gets 10 or 15 yards, and people say he's a running quarterback. But I have a fear that Seattle, I mean, you're paying this much money for Russell Wilson. Who are you not going to be able to afford that's really more of a key part to that team than Russell Wilson? And that's the big problem because Michael Bennett, even though he Michael Bennett signed his contract last year. He signed it. He should have to own up to it. But Michael Bennett's already complaining that he's not getting enough money for what he provides to the team. You look at the linebacking core. Uh, you know, you, you see guys who are underpaid and guys like Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright who are important to that team who are going to be free agents soon, and they're not going to have the money if you pay Russell. What about Marshawn Lynch? You know, Sherman's getting paid, but they're having to rotate a new quarterback a, 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 against Sherman every time. And then Cam Chancellor is one of the better free safeties I've seen, and where's his money going to come? So and, and the problem well, is that defense is going to suffer because they want to pay Wilson. Because they they're not spending money on the offense. They're not, and that, that's the sad reality is their tight ends and receivers aren't making a lot of money, so they're paying offensive linemen, but they're not paying them top dollar either. I mean, Seattle's going to take a huge step back if they commit this much money to him without a cap increase. Man, you think about you average you, you put Seattle giving up ten more points a game over last year. What do you what kind of record do you have, Jonathan? That's an eight and eight team. And that's what they're going to end up being, and maybe even worse, because I don't think Russell Wilson is good enough to to lead a team to victory. I mean, he's not. I mean, he's like he's a an AJ McCarron kind of guy, maybe a a Greg McElroy at Alabama. They're just asked to not screw up and let everything else happen, and 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 that's what he is really. And I'm not trying to bash the guy, but he's not as good as he thinks he is. And a lot of people talking about he's a top five quarterback. He's got a Super Bowl ring. I could care less how many rings he has right now, but I'm trying to look at who's the best quarterback. How many rings does Drew Brees have? One. And and, and Russell Wilson, who's the better quarterback? Drew Brees. Exactly. I mean, I, I just sometimes rings rings are important when you're when you're comparing apples to apples. With Drew Brees and Russell Wilson, it's not apples to apples. Peyton Manning. How many Super Bowls does he have? One. Exactly. He's, and, and that's what I'm trying to say. And Eli Manning has two, for God's sake. He's the worst quarterback in the NFL. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm, t- I'm tired of hearing quarterback comparisons with rings and, and all that. He lucked into two Super Bowls, no doubt about it. But, anyway, I, I just wanted to talk about that just for a moment. Russell Wilson, anything in the NFL that caught your attention, Jonathan? Uh, yeah, uh, Adrian Peterson just restructured his deal with the with the Viking, um, and most of his money is actually guaranteed. And that was part of his whole "I'm not coming back" thing. Is he he was very upset with Minnesota management because he did not stand by him when it came to uh, the whole child abuse thing last year, and he was pretty much said, "I'm retiring" because Minnesota said, "We're not cutting you." 
you know, you might want to leave town, but we're not cutting you, and nobody's going to trade for you right now. So, you know, here's where we are, a rock and a hard place. Let's make a decision. So they wound up guaranteeing most of his remaining money. That way they can't cut him without killing themselves cap-wise, and he feels uh, safe. And then Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh is considering a holdout. Uh, he had he had a great year last year, and he set up a couple good years. Um, it is time for Pittsburgh, I believe, to go ahead and re-up him because uh, he is, I believe, in the last year of his rookie contract, and he was a six-round pick. So I think it's time for Pittsburgh to go ahead and re-sign him, uh, give him, you know, what he's worth. Uh, other than that, it's been kind of quiet on the NFL front, which is nice for once in an off season. Yeah, and I want to I want to touch real quick on Adrian Peterson and Minnesota's management. And you're right, I, I think they dropped the ball big time here. And it's not like he beat a woman. It's not like he murdered somebody. He went over he went overboard on his child, no doubt about it. His son, that you know, he loves his son and he he just wants the best for him. But Minnesota. You know, they showed they didn't care about him. So my question to you, Jonathan, this year when AP's out there on the field, and, and, you know, it's just like in life and work. If you don't like your bosses and your company, you're probably not going to give all you have. Will Adrian Peterson give all he has to a team that, that really threw him under the bus? I have to believe that he will. Uh, be, you know, he's going to try and be a consummate professional and prove that, you know, he is still the best player in the game. Um, it, it, it is going to be interesting, though, uh, from what you're saying, to see where he actually is going to play. You know how he's going to give all. You know, is he going to give all of his effort, or is he going to be somebody that we're going to watch week in, week out, and start questioning? You know, is he really into it? Uh, I, 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 I'm, a, I'm with you on that, but I think well, you know, he's a consummate pro. I think he's going to come out and get it done. And you know, I think he's going to come out, and I think he knows he's just. You know, he doesn't have many years left, but keeping those legs fresh really for the most part of last year and that anger inside of him, he's had a goal for himself with 2,500 rushing yards. Do you see him getting that? That sounds like a man on fire right there. <laughs> yeah, and I, I like the goal. I really do. Uh, I, 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 you know, I think it's great that he has that, that confidence in himself that he wants to get at it and get that. Uh, I think 2,500 is a little, uh, little, little over the top, though. Unfortunately, it's just hard to do that in today's NFL, especially when you got a quarterback like Bridgewater that showed a lot of promise last year. This is going to be more of a balanced offense than it has in years past. Well, if you look at Peterson's game by game, he's not very consistent. He'll, he'll have a few 40, 50 yard games, and then he'll go for 200. And then he'll have a 60, a 40. You know, I just don't see him consistent enough, Jonathan, to be able to get close to 2,500. He needs to set his goal at, I think, at eighteen hundred and, and try that. Oh yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, there's nothing wrong with shooting for the shooting for the stars and landing on the moon. You know, if he eclipses two thousand yards again in his career, uh, that that'd just be phenomenal in its own right. Uh, Twenty five hundred. I mean, and I think that's what the goal is: is more of him shooting for the moon and seeing if he shooting for the stars and seeing if he can land on the moon. Yeah, we'll we'll see where he lands, but. Wish him good luck, and, you know, I, I think he he really got a bad rap for everything. I'm not condoning what he did. I'm not saying it was right, but, dang, there's a lot of people do a lot worse things that play in the NFL than, than what AP did. Well, let's get into what we love here. College football is right around the corner. 
Jonathan is foaming at the mouth right now. Jonathan, do you hear any static right now on my phone? No, you sound pretty clear, man. Okay. All right, good. Thank you. I just wanted to make sure. Well, I mean, we're a month away, and, you know, I'm, I'm foaming at the mouth for Auburn Louisville that first week, getting ready for that big game. There's a lot of big games early in, in the early in the season, Jonathan. I think people, you know, they they tend to to not look at how big some of these games are. You lose a game early, you could be out of the race real quick. And I'm interested to see how some of these teams do. And the first team tonight out of the Big Ten, Michigan State. You know, they're they're playing the Big Ten. The schedule's not, you know, it's not something that that we're scared of here to to look at Michigan State. They do play Oregon and they get them at home this year. But Michigan State, when you look at them, when you look at that schedule, what's, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Uh, first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, looking at least at their conference schedule, how does he wind up get, having to go to Michigan, Nebraska, and Ohio State this year? <laughs> I mean, the that, that's, the first thing, that's the first thing that jumps out to me, too. Yeah, they they got you know the three toughest conference games. They got to go on the road tour. Uh, that's the first thing that caught my eye. In all reality, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I saw. And and not only that, you have to play Oregon early in the season. Where I mean, you never know what kind of team you're going to have week two. You know, a lot of teams don't start gelling till over halfway through the season. And what if what if Michigan State loses that game? If Michigan State loses to Oregon, uh, they have to win out to get in consideration for the playoffs. There, there's just no way. Um, I, I mean, regardless, they have to beat Ohio State to get to get into the playoffs. Uh, but if they lose to Oregon, they're behind the eight ball, and it's not even close. They, they, you know, they take a tumble down the rankings just because the Big Ten as a whole, people want to try and say that it's on the up. Michigan has yet to prove anything with Harbaugh. Let, let, let's just put that out there. For everybody who's going, well, the Big Ten has these – well, how many good teams? You have Ohio State, Michigan State, and then what? You, you know, Wisconsin is a maybe. You know, they, they're, they're still working on this whole we need a quarterback thing. Uh, Nebraska's got a new coach, which firing Bo Pelini, stupid, but that, that is what it is. You know, Michigan's got a new coach, and Penn State's got to try and figure out what they have going on there. I think Penn State has a chance to be a good football team, but we got to see if that, if that offensive line can actually protect Hackenberg, who's one of the better quarterbacks in, in that conference. Yeah, and I, I look at the Big Ten, man, and I, I just look. I mean, it's it's why we have Ohio State, and it's because they don't play anybody. I mean, it's, it's just the way it goes. And you look at this schedule, they do not play in Minnesota. They don't play Wisconsin. I mean, it's like you don't have to play everybody. And I know some conferences are like that. But, dang, when you're weak like this, at least play the good ones. But, I mean, at Western Michigan, Oregon Air Force, and Central Michigan. So they get all their non-conference games out of the way in September. I mean, they're they're 3-1 and one at, at worst, 4-0 at best. So that's heading into, you know, October. Look at October, Jonathan. At Michigan's the only game. So they could go into November easily undefeated with at Nebraska and at Ohio State looming, plus a Big Ten championship possibility, they'll probably have to play Ohio State again. Yeah, I, well, that, that, you know, I'm looking at that, and Michigan State and Ohio State are, are in the same uh, half of uh, the, the conference now, which I think is the worst thing for that conference. 
because your two best teams have to play each other. You don't even get to see them play each other in the Big Ten championship game. So are you talking about Ohio Michigan State, State and Ohio State? Yeah, they're they're, in the, they're both in the oh, Big Ten okay. East now. Right. See, see, when did that move? Because two years ago, Ohio State played Michigan State in the Big Ten championship. I, I want to say ago. they made that move last year. I'm not positive. Okay. Um, I mean, the Big Ten when they decided to do the when they got to 12 teams and split it up. Yeah, the leaders right. and legends. And everybody did the whole, well, those names kind of don't mesh. And then they, they put their foot in their mouth and said, all right, we won't do the leaders and legends. So then it became, right. you know, now we have to split it up. And when they first split it up, it, it was a mess. You, you had so much of a mess. You know, so they had to rearrange it again. I'm hoping this is the final time because uh, I'm having a harder time keeping up. <laughs> um, but, I mean, if your toughest game is at Ohio State and – that's not until the second to last week of the year. I, I yeah. think that said something right there. They could be ten and zero going into the you know going into uh, that Thanksgiving two week period. Yeah, and most teams like you know already playing. They've already played five or six ranked teams by this time, and here they are coming in. I mean, uh, a September. Then who cares? I mean, Oregon. I, I really think that's a tough game to call right there early in the season. Oregon, new quarterback and everything. But, you know, one thing about Michigan State, they don't have that, that talent, the star power like an Oregon with the speed they have. Oregon can blow you out quick. if you They can get on you and jump on you. I don't know if Michigan State can really do that. But a good team in Michigan State, they always have a defense. They always – now they have a senior quarterback that started three years. I think this could be a good season for them. But I still I still see two losses for this Michigan State team at least. Yeah, um, it's hard to argue with that because you know they have to go to Nebraska, which is a hostile environment. They do have to go to Michigan, which are hostile environments. Luckily, they catch both those teams on off years. Um, and you know you have to go to Ohio State, you have Penn State at home, which is a big rivalry game between those two schools, the Lane Grant Trophy. And you got Oregon at home. I mean, they got five legitimate, let's see what happens kind of games. Um, I, I, I honestly, I think this Michigan State team, I, I think they beat Oregon in week two because they have more coming back, especially along the offensive line, where they have, what is it, four returning starters, including both their tackles in their center. You got your quarterback coming back. You got seven guys coming back on defense. Um, I think they could beat Oregon out because Oregon is – they're going to have to retool on the fly this year. Uh, that, that's Oregon's problem. They have a new quarterback, which is, you know, with Vernon Adams, who's moving up a division. I mean, yeah, he has a warm-up game the week before, but still, it's going to be tough for them to go into East Lansing, which in its own right is a tough place to play, and gel against this defense, which is a tough defense to play against. Yeah, and uh... – one thing about Oregon, and we'll talk about them in a few minutes, is, you know, they're coming all the way across country. I mean, I don't think it's going to be real hot up there. But uh, look at recruiting the last few years for Oregon. It just hasn't been up there. You know, it hasn't been up in the top 15 or 20, I don't believe. And I think that could hurt them now without Chip Kelly being there. I think we're going to really find out how good Helfrich is, but I just don't see them going on the road and beating the Michigan State team that last year, you saw in the bowl game, the way they came back and beat Baylor. I mean, Michigan State was, if you look at their offense last year, 
In the Big Ten, they were number two in total offense. Passing, they were first. and scoring, they were second. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you take Ohio State out of the equation, Michigan State was uh, in no way you could say they weren't the best team in that conference. Um, and that that's the reality here. I think the Big Ten is a two-team race, and that race will be decided on November 21st. Uh, you know, Michigan State's offense is bringing back, you know, that their quarterback. Now, obviously, they have to, you know, break in some new starters um, at the skill position. And that's one thing we're going to see. Luckily, they're more upperclassmen, especially at wide receiver. Guys have already had some experience. But I think they can still get over that because you have four returning guys on the offensive line. You have your returning quarterback. The offense shouldn't really miss the beat as long as the receivers don't have a case of the drop. What's going to be interesting to see is how this defense, losing Narduzzi as their head coach, is this defense still going to be as vicious as it's been? This has been a very tough defense. You know, Shaq Calhoun's leading the way on that defense. He's a very good defensive end. Supposed to be a high first-round pick uh, at the end of this year. How is this defense going to handle, especially with as much turnover as it looks like he might have in the secondary, especially at the cornerback position? Yeah, that's a that's a good point. You never know what kind of intensity a coach leaves. You know, when he leaves, how does the team respond? Do they try hard for the new coach, or they do they kind of let down? You know, maybe that guy held them accountable to a level where they relax when he's gone. But why in the world are they playing at Western Michigan? Why would they play there? Because it's still considered an in-state rivalry, if you will, even though rivalries usually don't tend to be as one-sided as this one is. Uh, Michigan State doesn't mind playing there. It gives Western Michigan home games. They don't have to pay them, essentially because we'll be getting the proceeds from the tickets and everything, but a bunch of their fans are going to show up anyway. Okay. Well, I don't see – I hope Michigan State wins the Big Ten. I'll put it that way. I really do. But it's kind of like the SEC West is probably going to be a two-team race and the winners going all the way to the playoffs, and I think that's what this does. I think Ohio State being at home will be enough to get them past Michigan State. And that's really Ohio State's only game all year. Yeah, yeah, that is, that that's that's a sad reality. I mean, Ohio State has well, I'll say they have two games. They got to get they got to get out of Blacksburg. Ohio State doesn't have to get out of Blacksburg. I mean, say what you want it about the team. It is a hostile environment. Hostile environment, Labor Day night against, you know, Ohio State's going and going, we got to prove to everybody we're number one and we're better than Virginia Tech. You know, they caught us on a bad night. And Virginia Tech's coming in going, we've already beaten these guys. Let's go out there and smack them down again and show them one more time that the Big Ten is not better than the ACC. They're our little brothers. And I'll tell you this one thing that people overlook, Jonathan, the first week of the year, Everybody has confidence. Everybody's a contender. So Virginia Tech's going to come in there thinking they're going to win the ACC and make the playoff game. Why not, right? I mean, they're going to come in with Deemer, and they're going to have confidence. They played in big games before, and they beat them last year. And I think that's going to be a disadvantage to Ohio State, honestly, John. I agree. I think it is going to be a huge disadvantage to Ohio State. And Virginia Tech is going to have that confidence of knowing we've already beat these guys. We know what's coming. I mean, might they have a different quarterback? Yeah, but they're still on him now. 
we, we know how to play Cardell, and he almost plays right in the Virginia Tech's hand. You know, we're breaking in new receivers at Ohio State. Virginia Tech's always had strong cornerbacks. You know, and Michael Brewer had the best game of his season last year against Ohio State. He knows how to play this defense. You know, that's why th- that game is, is having me go back and forth and who I honestly think is going to win it. What I know is that the line is, what, 17? I am Yeah, I'm taking the that. points. Oh, I'm taking the points all day. There's no way, you know, Ohio State fans are going to tell you they're going to come out and they're going to smoke them and beat them by 50. I'm glad you have that confidence. I'll still take your lunch money. Yeah, and it's different being the hunted than the hunter, you know. I mean, it's, it's just different. Last year, Ohio State really honestly came out of nowhere in a way. Braxton Miller was hurt. Barrett went down. Nobody really thought about Ohio State, but now Virginia Tech, look, the only team to beat the national champions last year, they're coming into our place Labor Day night, and we, we're going to shock the world again, and we're going to get at, make our season better than what it was last year. And that's what you look for. The first game of the year, you know, Auburn, Louisville, Louisville thinks they're going to win the championship. So, I mean, nobody's really at an advantage that first week. It's just it's a it's a crapshoot. We, we we see it every year, Jonathan. The first week, you're like, oh my god, did that happen? Really? I mean, early in the season, you never know. And I I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen, but wouldn't that be something? Virginia Tech knocked off Ohio State the first game. Wow, God. Talk about starting some pandemonium. <laughs> yeah, it's pandemonium. Well, speaking of pandemonium, let's. Let's head out to Texas right here in the SEC country. Texas A&M, the, the, you know, a finesse team to me. They finally went out and got a defensive coach. And, Jonathan, I'm going to ask you right now, straight up, is that enough for this year? Is it enough to bring Chavis in from LSU where, you know, LSU's defense wasn't that good to me anyway, but is that going to be enough? Kevin Sumlin seems to think that it will and I just want to hear what you think. Chavis is a great defensive coordinator. Um, I've all, I've always been a fan of him. Always, uh, I've, I he was definitely um, an excellent excellent coordinator at Tennessee, and that's why I remember him most from. There's talent on that defense. A and M's recruited very well, but it has just been so bad. That defense has been so bad lately. Um, I, I think they improved, you know, giving up 28 points a game, giving up 450 yards a game. I think they can improve off of that. <laughs> I, I, and, I mean, honestly, you should. You're Texas A&M. This isn't, you know, Western Kentucky. I, you know, let's just face that. Miles Grant had a phenomenal freshman season last year, 11 and a half sacks. It was great to see him play. Uh, you know, he, he, had, he, had, so he, had, he had eight against Auburn, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, he, he, there's so much talent there, especially on the defensive line where they got three returning starters. But they're breaking in all new starters in the linebackers, the linebacking corps, which arguably is your most important position in uh, defense. Those are your guys who call the plays. That's your in-between guy. You know, and, and that's what Chavis – you know, that's what he's got to figure out because the LSU's always had great defensive linemen. Tennessee had great had great defensive linemen under him. At Tennessee, he had linebackers. At LSU, there was you know a couple. You know, Mike Mentor being you know the most notable, I think, out of the guys I can remember. We were like, there's an LSU linebacker. That's a great guy. 
you've got to try and figure and grab some of that magic and bring it down to, you know, College Station. I don't know if he can the first year. This might be a one- or two-year process for him. I think A&M's defense next year is going to be a lot better than it has been in a while. Yeah, and you look at recruiting. I mean, that's what you look at. They're young, and I just think, look, Jonathan, they can't stop the run. They can't stop the pass. Their linebackers are not existent. Their corners are not there. They do have a couple of ends that can get to the quarterback, no, no doubt about that. I do not think in the SEC West, and the main thing I'm going I'm to knock on A&M, Jonathan, they cannot run the football. You can have the best receivers in the world, the best quarterback, the best offense. Uh, it looks pretty. But unless you can run the ball on third down, you're not going to win in the SEC West. That's why they're that's why they're struggling last year, three and five in the conference. You can't run on third and three. You're not going to play in Atlanta. So, Jonathan, I don't see that changing. Who's going to be the running back for A&M this year? Uh, 140-pound wow. guy? Uh, that actually, it's going to be Trey Carson from the looks of it. He's going to be a senior. Um, he's six foot two thirty five. You know he's going to be a big boy, uh, and you know he definitely has a lot of talent. Uh, you know that's and that's the thing. A and M has talented running backs. It's almost as if they choose not to run the ball more than anything because they want to go with that up tempo spread Houston offense. And you know with that offense at, at Houston, it was a good offense to have if you had shifty running backs. Charles Sims had a phenomenal career at Houston before he left under that offense. You know, Brandon Williams yep. is the backup. He's the transfer from Oklahoma. You know, again, not 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 a power guy, more more of a finesse runner. But still, both those guys, give them the rock. Let them run the football. I mean, you got three guys coming back on the offensive line who, you know, and it's not like they have a small offensive line. The only guy under three hundred and ten pounds is their center. You know, he's two ninety. You got big hogs down low. Run the football. I mean, how hard is but that? Kevin Sumlin can't though. I mean, it's like he cannot do it. He's not patient enough. He's not the type of coach. And and one thing about it is they can score fast and everything, but they that defense too. And it's like Auburn. You score fast. You score in three plays. Guess what? That defense is right back on the field again. That's when injuries happen. That's when players get tired of getting scored on and beaten. And I just look at A and M. And, and they're a year away, in my opinion. I really think, just like you said, I think they're a year away. But they're going to lose a lot of offensive linemen after this year, too. So it's going to be another rebuilding effort up front. So we'll see what happens. Garrett is a phenomenal pass rusher, but he can't stop the run. I mean, when, when they played LSU, LSU schooled him. They showed him he was non-existent. And I think that's what a lot of offensive lines, now that they've seen Garrett, I think they're going to be able to stop him. And A&M, let's look at the schedule. I mean, not a tough schedule when you look at road games. I don't know how you get away with doing three road games, really. Um, I guess because you play two neutral sites. But at Ole Miss, at Vanderbilt, and at LSU, neutral side against Arizona State. That game's in Houston. And then Arkansas games in Arlington, Texas. So what do you think about this schedule? They have both Alabama and Auburn at home. Uh, they definitely lucked out a little bit this year. Uh, they get Arizona State and Arkansas at neutral site, which in all reality, the Arizona State game made a neutral site. Uh, they're playing right there in Houston. Come on. Um, <laughs> uh, playing Arkansas and Arlington, that's a little more of a neutral site, but still, you're going to get more of a Texas contingent at that game. 
Uh, getting Mississippi State, Alabama, South Carolina, Auburn at home is huge. You have to go to Ole Miss and LSU. Both those yeah, teams are not going to be as good. And, and that, that's the reality. Yeah. That's a good point, I mean, Jonathan. And, and you, saw last year, but you saw last year, they, they lost to LSU, and that was in, in, in uh, College Station. They just cut out physical LSU. That's a team that Texas A&M struggles with. And you're telling me the last game of the season they're going to go into Baton Rouge and beat them? Unless they become a ten times more physical football team, they're not. No, no, I agree. And that that's going to be something, you know, we'll find out how physical they are when they play Arkansas. Arkansas is a very physical team. You know, and, and I said, when Bill Lumley came into the SEC, he came with a loud mouth. And I know everybody, all the SEC fans didn't like him. But I thought he'd be a good fit. Because he is a smash mouth coach football. He fits personally in with the SEC conference coaching line. You know, let's bring it. My 11 is sure 11. I'm going to pound the rock at you. Let's see how many times I can punch you in the mouth before, you, before I knock you out. And, and that's going to be a tough test for A&M. That, you know, that game last year was a great game to watch. You know, A&M pulled it out. I believe it was an overtime, yeah. So it's going to be great to see that one. That, was in the, that game right there will tell you, though, if A&M can hang with the big boys. Yeah, I think Auburn's going to boat race them this year after last year. What happened? I think Alabama beat them fifty-nine to nothing last year. I mean, <laughs> fifty-nine to nothing. That's how bad you got beat by Alabama. I mean, that's terrible. And, yeah. and let's look at the team. I want to talk about the big boys. And last year, to me, Auburn wasn't a big boy. They didn't have any pass rush. I'm on. They beat them forty-one to thirty-eight. At LSU, they lost a physical team, twenty-three to seventeen. Ole Miss, they lost 35-20, to 20, and this was at home. Last year they got blown out by Mississippi State. They got lucky and beat Arkansas. Arkansas won that game to me. But you look at games, teams like that, physical teams, they owned them, with the exception of Auburn. Auburn's physical running the football, but their defense wasn't physical. And I think that's, that's the problem that A&M's going to have. They're going to have to play Arkansas, a very physical team, Mississippi State, Alabama, Ole Miss, look at that defense. Auburn, LSU. I mean, this could be a 7-5, a 6-6 six and six kind of Texas a and team to maybe catapult them in the next year possibly. But I, I'm just not having big expectations for them. No, and I, I agree. Um, this isn't going to be A&M's year. And, of course, they're going to be ranked high coming in. They might even be a preseason top 25 team because of the conference they play in. And especially the division in which they play in. It's a tough division. Might be the toughest division in college football. Um, I, you know, I'd like to hear somebody argue that point. <laughs> but, you know, you're looking at it. I, I, you know, they're gonna, it's gonna, they're gonna, they have tough games with Arizona State, Arkansas, Alabama, Auburn, LSU. I think Ole Miss is going to be a tough game because I think they're actually going to have a better quarterback than Bo Wallace, which isn't really that hard to do. Um Mississippi State could still be a tough game. You know, people look at the way Mississippi State petered out at the end of last year and they just fell apart. You know, they're, all of a sudden nobody's paying attention to them again. That's a team that still had a very good season. You know, the teams they lost to, think about it, they lost to Alabama on the road. That's not a bad loss. No, Especially, oh, by five points. Yeah, that's not yeah. a bad loss. You know, they lost at Ole Miss. Before the bowl games, that wasn't a bad loss, you know. And, and again, you know, 
they lost to Georgia Tech. That's not a bad loss. I mean, yeah, they got smoked in all reality. The final score was 15 points. But from start to finish, Tech owned that game. But still, that's a good team. You're telling me they lost three games last year, but they were all against quality opponents. You know, they didn't lose to Kentucky. They didn't lose to Vanderbilt. They lost three tough games, two on the road, and one down in Miami. So Mississippi State's a team that I think going to have a good chance, and they could go in and rock a world just like they did last year. Yeah, and, you know, you talk about Brett Bielema. I'm talking about Dan Mullen. I mean, I think Dan Mullen is a phenomenal coach, and I give up the success at Florida with Tebow and those championships to Dan Mullen. And, and, you know, they lost a lot of defensive players this year, but Dan Mullen's going to have these guys ready. They have a senior quarterback in Prescott. But but I like Brett Bielema, though, Jonathan, and the way his style is, the offensive line is bigger than the NFL offensive line. It's just like, yeah, hat on hat, let's just see if our guys are better than yours. And then the bottom line is Arkansas, they, they struggle at quarterback plays. Their skill position receivers, they don't have it. They have great running back, good offensive line, lost a lot on defense. Arkansas could be a team with about the same record as A&M. I mean, 6-6 six and six in the SEC West is not terrible like it would be some places. This means you were in a lot of battles, you know. So we'll see about the A&M Aggies. How many losses are you predicting? Just regular. Uh, wow. Um, I'd take five. And I think they're all in conference. Yeah, I think five, too. I think they're going to lose to Arkansas. I think they're going to lose to Alabama. I think they're going to lose to Ole Miss. I think they're going to lose to Auburn. I think they're going to lose to LSU. Those are yeah, the, we're on the same page. The, yeah. So the A&M Aggies, and I can't wait to start breaking out some of these other teams. We're going to get the ACC next week. But tonight, let's flip over to the Pac-12, a team that Jonathan and, you know, I know Jason Humphrey's going to come on in a little while. This is an Oregon Duck team that I think is a little bit overrated. And I just want to hear your thoughts on that. Um, yeah, you know, uh, people are – you're looking at it, Oregon's a system, you know, obviously they can plug in anybody they want and keep winning. I'm not a firm believer in that. Uh, I think you need to be able to have something coming back to be a true system. Oregon, yeah, I mean, they got a, a fantastic running back in Royce Freeman. Saw him firsthand. He's a good running back. They got three returning uh, linemen. They got two of the receivers coming back. Their defense, I don't think their defense was as good as people – thought they were. Um, and granted, I'm a Florida State fan. I saw firsthand that four turnovers happens very quickly. But I think this is defense that can be exposed. I uh, had holes last year that they were just able to cover up by the fact that they dropped 59 points on it. Uh, you know, this defensive line is returning two of their three starters. You know, they're returning four of the front seven. Their secondary is going to look brand new, and that's, that's got to terrify them. Because in the Pac-12, all teams do is throw the football. And all they do is throw. So they're telling me, hey, let's break in a new secondary with no pass rush. That's going to work beautifully. Yeah, that's a great point. That's secondary. And and Oregon's a team that, like you said, I mean, they they can get on you real quick, a few turnovers, and all of a sudden they put three touchdowns on you real quick. And now you're, you're looking like Oregon's just head and shoulders above the rest. Florida State, you know, I mean, nothing taken away from Oregon, but they gave that game away. They really gave that. 
that game away with all those turnovers, and it was something that they weren't used to doing. They used to always be able to come back and stuff like that. But Oregon's a good team, and losing the quarterback Mariota, man, I just don't think people realize how big that's going to be. I'm sorry, you can't bring in somebody from where's the guy playing up in the FCS and Idaho or something? Where, where's this kid playing at? Uh, he's from Eastern Washington. Yeah, I mean, he's telling me he's going to be able to come from Eastern Washington down to the Pac-12 with this scheme, this offense, and all the pressure that comes around it and just be able to pick up and win. I mean, maybe he can, but I need to see it first. And we're going to see it early on, week two, against Michigan State. Yeah, uh, and that is going to be his first big test is going to be that game uh, against Michigan State. That's going to see if he can – if he can actually handle it, uh, it you know, he's he, he's very talented. Don't get me wrong. I, I've I've watched some of his games. He's a very talented quarterback, but it's a whole other level from playing Idaho State, and now you got to go to Michigan State. That, that's 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 a very big difference. And you know, he could get punched in his mouth early, but we got to see how he responds. You know, luckily he gets to break in against Eastern Michigan, but still. That they're not even on the same wavelength. So this is this is definitely going to be a game that, you know, he's definitely going to have to find a way to break in and, and get up to speed quick. Because if not, you know, they're going to have uh, Lockie waiting in the wings. You know, and, and Lockie's a junior. He's been there a couple years. He knows the off. He knows the system. He's played. You know, so he might actually be the starting quarterback going to that Michigan State game if Adams looks bad against Eastern Michigan, or if he can't even you know, take control of the starting job in Paul Camp. Yeah, the good thing about Lockie, though, he's been around this system. I mean, he's there. He's practiced behind Mariota. At least he's familiar with everything. And let's bring on the biggest Duck fan I know. Jason Humphrey is in the house, and we want to welcome him if I can get him in the studio. Jason, welcome to the show, buddy. How are you? How are you guys doing tonight? Well, doing good, Jason. Tell me something um, about the Doing It's Eastern Washington this week, not Eastern Michigan this week. Same thing. My bad. I got it wrong, but they're both pushovers. Oh, yeah. Pushovers, for sure. For sure. Um, well, tell I, us, I think Jason, about it, your Oregon Um. Like you guys said, losing Mariota, I think is a key um, key component to this season. Um, everybody's giving Vernon Adams the job um, before even taking the practice. But in my personal opinion, I think Jeff Lockie would be the starter week one. Um, I see the Stug team going ten and two at risk nine and three. Um, with the two potential losses being to Michigan State and USC at home in November. Um, but I still think they win the North Division because I don't think anybody in the North could A, go system two and beat Oregon. Um, maybe Stanford could, but outside of that, um, I don't see anybody else beating us in the North. No, I totally agree with that. And, and you know, Oregon, and that's big having USC at home this year. 
you think in November, yeah. November by, by November twenty first, I, I look for Oregon's offense to be to be rolling, especially at home. So that's a good time to play Southern Cal. And I think, like you said, Adams may not be the starter. How long do you think it's going to take Adams to be the starter at Oregon? I, I think I think we can have a situation that Alabama went through last year. They had a transfer um, going well, in to the season. Expected to be the starter, but never sees the field. We could have yep. that same situation with Vernon Adams. That's a good point. And uh, Jacob Coker is the quarterback you're talking about from Florida yeah. State. And and Jason, yeah. let's, uh, let's look at Helfrich as your coach right now. What does what does he not have that Chip Kelly had? Because when I when I look at the two, I mean, it's just like Kelly had that swagger. Helfrich, to me, just looks like, I don't know, it's just something about him. I don't feel as confident with him as I did Chip Kelly. So why is Helfrich different than Chip Kelly? I, I think you said it right on the head, the, the swagger. I, I think if Mark Helfrich is any like the Oregon past head coaches, I would say like Mike Brody. He's quiet and he won't draw attention to himself. But he he gets the job done as a head coach twenty four and four um, at Oregon so far. Yeah, granted that's with Marcus Mariota, but we'll see how good of a head coach he he will be moving forward. So, well, J- well, Jason, I'm gonna try, and this is a try here, and I've been wanting to go for a while. How hard would it be for me to get tickets to the Oregon USD game November twenty first? Um. I think you would have to start looking now because I'm sure that game's going to be sold out. Um, I, I think I read a study um, somewhere, I don't know where, but Oregon has like top 10 average ticket price in the uh-huh. nation. So, um, but no, no, I, I would love, the Oregon Ducks, love for anybody love coming up to you. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, w- I would like to touch on, on the offensive side. Yes, we lose the quarterback, but um, we're pretty stacked on running back and wide receivers. Offensive line, it could be a little bit of a question of losing um, the senior um, center, um, Grossi, um to graduation. And we also get Braden Addison back, a wide receiver, that missed off last year with an ACL tear, so it brings more depth to the um, to the um, position. Yeah, uh, that left tackle position is is something you're going to have to watch out. But what about your what Jonathan mentioned earlier? Your corners, your your safeties, breaking in a whole new entire. Uh, well, besides one, I think Reggie Daniels is back. An entire secondary. How are you going to hold up in the Pac-12 with their pass happy? Well, um, Charles Nelson and Chris C said has um had got playing at time. Um, I think it was Chris Nelson that replaced Offermood in the playoffs um against Florida State and Ohio State. But Jonathan is right. We are very young in the second day. They will have to step up by the time that we face um, Washington State on October 10th. So, 
Well, well, Jason, I don't need to ask. If I can't go to the Southern Cal game, give me a game with the perfect weather, nice weather, great atmosphere. Give me another game I could go to this year. This year? Um, mm-hmm. I would say the Cal game's great. I would say the USC and the Civil War. The Civil War isn't easy this year, right around the Thanksgiving time. Um the Civil War is a very good rivalry in the state. Um, it'll be a new player this year because Oregon State is breaking in a new head coach, um, Gary Anderson, from Wisconsin, I believe. So. Yeah. Jonathan, what about you? I think I could go to the Cal game and get some excitement. Yeah, uh, I mean, looking at the schedule, you know, I think the two game the two games I'd look at the most are the Utah game on uh, the 26th, their first uh, conference test. Um, I, I'd be interested to see that, especially after how that game went last year. You know, and that'd be your first conference game, probably be a good matchup, especially the Utah team that's on the rise. And then, I mean, of course, I love watching Cal play, so I'd love to go to that Cal game first week in November. Uh, Cal that has a fantastic looking quarterback, and Jared Goff. I think it'd just be really, really fun to see those two offenses go at it. Well, well, Jason, if I go up November 7th, what's the weather going to be like, do you think? Um, possible raining. Um, if if you come up with November and October, possible raining. But it really doesn't rain much on a game day. I know it rained um, last time that Cal was up here. It was a giant rainstorm. Um, moving the area. So. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna try to make it. And Jason, thank you, buddy, for coming on. So you're saying ten and two, um, at the best, nine and three at worst. What do you think about the Pac-12 championship game? Then who would you be playing, and would you win? And if you um, win, would you make the playoffs? Um, right now, I think we would be playing. I don't want to say USC because I think USC is overrated um, per se. I think they're already paper champions right now. Um, but it could – that Pac-12 South is probably the second-best division in all football behind yeah. the SEC West. So it could be any USC, UCLA, Arizona State, Arizona. But I think by the yeah. time that November comes around um, – will be a pretty good football team. That November schedule is really tough. Yeah. Well, Jason, buddy, I appreciate you. And if I'm coming to Oregon, you'll be the first to know. Thanks for joining the show. And, Jonathan, I'm going to make a bold prediction right now with the Pac-12. And maybe you think the same way I do. I don't think the Pac-12 is going to have a playoff team this year. Um, Wow. Um, Bold prediction. Yeah. You know what? I can't disagree with that because just just like Jason was saying, Oregon's a nine and three, ten and two team. Unfortunately, from the looks of it, um, you know, with, with them having to go to uh, Michigan State, having to go to you know Washington might be a little down, but let's see what Chip Peterson can do. He works. He's worked magic before. You know, they got to go to Washington. They got to go to Arizona State. They got to go to Stanford. They get USC at home. You know, they they avoid Arizona. Luckily, <laughs> um, you know, but. And USC, just like Jason said, paper champions. Everybody's already writing them in. 
it's kind of hard to do that. Every year we're like, all right, USC is going to turn this corner, and every year USC hasn't been able to turn this corner. So I, I got to wait and see on them. Arizona might actually be the best team that whole conference. Um, yeah. But they don't play defense. <laughs> you know, it's another team that doesn't play defense. So I, they could get they, they could get shut out of the playoffs, which of course would lead to more cries for expansion, which I'm okay with, <laughs> to be honest. But sure. I, you know, I could see you know the Pac-12 the champion having two or three losses and not making the playoffs. You know, if Auburn didn't exist, man, if I had to pick a college football team I would pull for, it would be Oregon. I just love that team, watching them play. And I'm going to go up there this year, Jonathan, and I hope somebody can go with me. If I have to go by myself, I'm flying to Eugene, Oregon for a football game. I've been, I've been planning it. I've been thinking about it. And I'm going to actually hit, hit it. You know, if you're just like Jason, if you're 10-2, and two, if you say, okay, I'm going to be 10-2 at the end of the year, that's an incredible season. For Oregon, it's not because of the expectations and what they're used to doing. I mean, to me, Oregon's the best team in the Pac-12 until somebody shows me they're not. You know, and that, that's the way I'm going to look at it. And the coach said that. I read that in the magazine. It, it just hit home with me. It says, in my mind, they're still the team to beat in the Pac-12 until somebody knocks them off. And how, how can you really disagree with that? You can't. They are the team to beat. This has been the best team in the conference in the past, you know, let's say five to seven years. Uh, ever since Dennis Dixon was there, they've really been one of the top teams. You know, once USC started their slide, Oregon took over. Stanford and Oregon, they went head-to-head multiple times and went at it. But at the end of the day, Oregon always wound up being like they were a superior team. You know, and that that's how it is. You know, it's just like with, you know, the ACC. You know, not for nothing, but Florida State's king of the conference until somebody takes them down. Ohio State right now is king of the Big Ten until somebody takes them down. You know, and, and that's the thing. These are teams that have done it, and they've been doing it. And Oregon now is looking around going, the rest of the conference is getting better. Good. Finally, mm-hmm. we have some competition. And that's the same with Alabama. And so if somebody shows me that they can be as consistent as Alabama, Alabama is the king of the SEC. I'm sorry. I'm, I, it pains me to say that. But I don't <laughs> see Alabama. I, I don't see Alabama having – uh, eight and four years. I don't see them having seven and five years. After, I mean, I mean, if they lose a game, it's a terrible season for them. And that, mm-hmm. just, you, you said it. You said it perfect. But I have another bold prediction for you. Okay. In the next three years, Chip Kelly will be back at Oregon. I have a hard time disagreeing with that. I, we all know he's well, well beloved out there. We know that he's already starting to strain a bunch of relationships in Philadelphia. Uh, and he didn't <laughs> want to make the leap the first time. When he, you know, he, that, uh, uh, Tampa, the Bucks, believe it or not, the year before, had Chip Kelly, at least they thought they had Chip Kelly wrapped up, signed, sealed, delivered, he was going to be the next head coach. He bailed on us. Last minute bailed on us. Well, you know, got to the gate, looked at his ticket and said, no, nah, I'm not getting on this plane. Uh, so that that's how Shiana wound up being the head coach of the Buccaneers, by the way. So yeah. I'm interested to see uh, how this whole relationship with him and the Eagles goes now that he has control over all the personnel decisions. And we see he's already created friction with players, with Deshaun Jackson and Evan Mathis. Yeah, he's, he's a racist. He's a racist, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, he's 
clearly the biggest racist I know. That's why he gave DeMarco Murray all that money. (laughs) I I mean, everybody needs to stop a question on this. He's a racist. He's a racist crap. Because now you're you're starting to sound like the boy who cried wolf. Once you start calling every white person you know a racist, we no longer assume that white people are racist. We assume that you're the racist. Okay, just just take that for what it is. Um, But, uh, you know, I think Chip Kelly could want a backup at Oregon. And, and there's already rumblings that he's starting to look out of the corner of his eye seeing if, you know, Hellfreak is, gets in any trouble because Hellfreak gets fired, Chip's the next coach. Guaranteed. Yeah. No doubt about it. Yeah. Well, I see Cuervo in the studio. Cuervo, if you want to jump in, press number one. I won't bring you on unexpected like like some people do me sometimes, catch me off guard. I'll be I'll – be, taking a sip of a drink, and all of a sudden somebody will bring me on. But, man, I'm so ready for football, man. I am I am so ready for football. And, and one thing, this is not the team we were talking about last night, but, you know, TCU is a team that a lot of people are talking about, Jonathan. If you if you look at TCU last year, and I just want your thoughts on this, they were the luckiest team. There's a stat they were talking about, the luckiest team in football. And if you look at recruiting, over the past few years, they're like 40th or something. So could it be TCU have caught lightning in a bottle last year and they're not as good as what everybody's thinking? Because that could easily be the case to me. Well, I've been a big TCU fan for a while ever since, you know, we had conversations when I was a high school senior, um, even as a junior. So I've been a TCU fan. Uh, just because, you know, they reached out and were, were willing to talk to a little white kid from, from Florida. Um, you're right. They were lucky last year. They struggled against Kansas and somehow pulled that one out. West Virginia outplayed them solidly, and somehow they pulled that one out. You know, the Oklahoma game, they they took control of that, but still only won by four points. You know, so, yeah, there was a lot of luck involved in those three games. But if you look at it, the Manhattan, they beat Minnesota, SMU, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, Kansas State, Texas, and Iowa State by 20-plus. Some of those teams yeah. are 40 and 50 points. I mean, that's 18 that they just smacked last year. I, I was going to say, doesn't even include Ole Miss. I mean, I, don't, I, think that, I think Gary Patterson is one of the best coaches in college football, and I think he has been for a while. He created the three three five, you know, almost a four two five kind of an edge rusher kind of guy. He he was a big guy in the forefront of that defense. Um, he he he's he's a great defensive mastermind. Andy Dalton, Casey Paul Hall, Teron Boykin, the three quarterbacks in a row who have succeeded at that university. You know, Paul Hall got in trouble, which opened the door up for Boykin to cut, switch back to quarterback from receiver, and he was the one on fire last year. You know, it's all, it's more of I don't know how lucky they are compared to how good he's actually recruiting in-state talent because his best thing he has going for him is that he is in the state of Texas, which is one of the top, let's say, five, if not top three, recruiting hotbeds in the nation. So he just has to walk out his back door, and he, he has five high schools, and he starts picking kids off the rosters because Texas ain't winning. A&M struggled, and before Manziel, A&M struggled before that. You know, Texas Tech ain't remember, making a push. Remember, this is an offense that lost one starter, right tackle. They have ten. They have nine seniors returning on offense. 
<laughs> right tackle, a sophomore, nine, nine seniors, I think. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yep, nine, and then they have a junior and a sophomore. Defense, one, two, three, four, five, six seniors on defense. Five are returning, five returning starters that are not seniors. So three of them are, but, I mean, you, you give Gary Patterson all this, this upperclassman that was there last year. I mean, how are they, you know, I could see them not being as good because of recruiting, but these guys have experience. These guys came last year and just beat the crap out of Ole Miss and put 58 on Baylor and Baylor. So what's going to stop them from being great on offense this year with Boykin back? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I think if I think if there is a shoe-in to this playoff, if there is one team right now, I will bet making the playoff, it's TCU. I, I just have a hard time. There's toughest game of the year. They got at home in Baylor. And, of course, yeah. it's, you know, their last game of the year, so they'll be, they'll be ready to be done for it. I mean, TCU, I mean, yeah, they have to go to Minnesota. And Minnesota pulled That's a tough. football team. That's tough. Minnesota lost a lot of talent last year, though. And you know what, though? You're playing Minnesota in September. You're not playing them in November. You don't have to deal with the snow. I think that's the biggest thing here. You know, yeah. and one of the things that I've heard is TCU schedule last year, how many times did it leave the state of Texas? Three. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Three. They went to West Virginia, they went to Kansas, and then they played uh, Ole Miss in Atlanta. Three times last year they left the state of Texas. This year they have to go to Minnesota, they got to go to Kansas State, they got to go to Iowa State, they got to go to both Oklahoma schools. They got five true road games, but they got to go out of the state. They can't just take a bus. And that's going to be big to see how that is going to affect them. Yeah, that's that's huge. People don't even think about that. They don't even look at stuff like that. Like, how's it going to affect the next week? Two road trips in a row, October 10th and 17th at Kansas State, at Iowa State. I mean, they're going to be tired the next week when they, or they get a bye when they play West Virginia. But people don't think about the travel. That's a long way to go for some of these for some of these games for TCU. But man, I'm, this is scary. I mean, last year, 533 yards a game. They return everybody, passing 326 a game, rushing 206, scoring 47 a game. I mean, defense. Now let's talk about defense. They're only giving up 341 yards, which is number one in the Big 12, 18th nationally. 233 passing, 108 rushing. Scoring only 19 a game. I mean, my God, that's that's just a great team. But the turnover margin is what I was talking about was luck, plus 18. And some of those turnovers I saw were huge in the momentum of games. So mm-hmm. if they don't get 18 turnovers plus this year, more than their opponents, how are they going to do? Well, they're going to do the same as any other team that kind of hovers around that turnover mar- margin. Um, you know, you're looking at a team like Oklahoma, uh, in that standpoint, or in Texas, you know, teams that had down years last year, you know, eight and five, you know, six and seven. You know, Baylor was plus 13. You know, your superior teams are always going to be plus a double-digit number when it comes to turnover margin. Uh, that That's just something I've learned. That That's why last year's Florida State team was so scary to me because more often than not, we were losing turnover battles, and you know your luck couldn't last all year. You know, and that's the thing with TCU, because they kept forcing turnovers, because Baylor kept forcing turnovers, because Ohio State, because Oregon, those teams kept doing it on a consistent basis, 
and they always found a way to be in a winning position at the end of the game. And that's what winning teams do. So, yeah, there is luck, definitely luck on that side. Fumbles, I believe, are all luck. To recover a fumble is one of the luckiest things you can do. An interception, there are quarterbacks dumb enough out there or they're colorblind like many tests and they will throw it right at you, and that happens. But fumbles are pure <laughs> luck. So if you could break down the number of teams that actually force them recovered fumbles, you'll find, I think, I believe you'll find that most of your winning teams are the teams who force or recover the most fumbles. Yeah. No, that's a key. If you're going to win a national championship, you're going to make the playoffs, you've got to be an opportunistic team and take advantage. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you on TCU. I, I don't think the Big 12 is is good. I think you have two teams in the Big 12 right now. That's it. I'm sorry. Tennessee's going to skull drag Oklahoma the second week of the season. I think I'll be in Knoxville for that game. And I, I just don't – the Big 12 lost a lot. Like some, They lost a lot of swagger last year, didn't they, Jonathan? It's just like the, it was all taken away from them but not getting a team in there. Um, the way the other teams didn't step up to the plate. I mean, it's TCU-Baylor. It's going to be the last game of the year. Both of them are very, very good football teams. But TCU could be, like you said, a lot to get in that playoff. You know, in the Big 12, I've been hearing more and more talking this year, more Armageddon talk, if you will, about are they going to disband? Is the conference going to explode? And, you know, half goes to the SEC, half goes to the PAC, maybe one. And you're sitting there going, wait a minute. Well, well wait a minute. But why is the Big 12 going to explode? They had the number five and number 16 in college and college football last year. You know, who? I, I, I mean, what, 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 what's going on? Well, they're not adding teams for a conference championship. Big whoop. I prefer... Now, I prefer 10-team conferences. That way you have to you play everybody in your conference, and you can determine truly who the best team is. I prefer that, to be honest. That's just, maybe that's just me. So I don't see where the problem is in that, well, other, these other conferences get an extra game. So what? They also, they also get an extra non-conference game against some Joe Snow. And what's your point? You know, but when Oklahoma and Texas took the step backs that they did, the Big 12 lost a lot of respect. And that that's the yep. big thing here. They lost a lot of your two conference powers, the two teams that from the beginning to, to last year, essentially, were the two top dogs, and they both fallen off the map. I mean, combined, they went 14 and 13 last year. That's bad. 14 and 12, one bad. That's bad. There's nothing good about 14 and 12 between your two power dogs. That's like saying Alabama and Auburn are going 10 and 12. And would you say the SEC is doing well if those two teams don't uh, have that? Yep. I I just just think this could be – I'm sorry, go ahead. I mean, if Ohio State and and Michigan do the same thing, if USC and Oregon – if that happens in your your conference, everybody screams Armageddon. Everybody starts panicking. It's a given. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. I would. And and I think this year is, you know, I don't think – I think you're going to have two teams from a conference possibly in the playoffs this year. I I just think there's not as many top-heavy teams in college football. And and I'll just go through my little list real quick before we get out of here. You tell me what you think. I think it's Ohio State, Michigan State, the only two possibilities in the Big Ten. Agree or disagree? Agree. ACC, you got Florida State or Clemson? Fine. Actually, in all reality, that could be a conference that gets shut out. 
Yeah, I mean, it's SEC, I think you have Alabama, and I think you have Auburn, and a wild card maybe Georgia, just depending on the SEC championship game. That's three I agree. teams. I just don't – in the Pac-12, I don't think anybody. If, if Yeah. I really don't. And then the Big 12, I think TCU. So we're looking at it. I mean, yeah, the ACC could get left out. You never know. But the, I mean, if the Big 10 loses a game or so, they could be left out. So this could mm-hmm. be the year where – could you imagine if Auburn and Alabama were undefeated playing in the Iron Bowl, the loser would still go to the, the championship or the playoffs? As long as the other one won the uh, SEC, wouldn't you agree with that? Oh yeah, uh, there's no, no. I mean, unless we're talking about undefeated, you know, unless we're saying, well, Alabama's undefeated, Ohio State's undefeated, TCU's undefeated, Georgia Tech's undefeated, Auburn has one loss. Crap, I have a hard yeah. time putting Auburn in there, even though their one loss is to Alabama. It's hard to put a one loss team yeah. in over four other undefeated teams. Especially, yeah, especially when conference. they're conference champions. Yeah, especially when right, they're conference champions. If I'm expecting what I'm expecting, and we don't have an undefeated team in the ACC, we don't have an undefeated team in the Pac-12. We might even have, we might not have a one-loss team in the Pac-12. We could be talking about Auburn, Alabama. Let's say 13 and 0 and 12 and 1 in there. We're talking about let's say you know 12 and 0 TCU, and then. Maybe 12 Ohio State, but here's my question. Ohio State and Baylor both have one loss. Baylor's lost to the TCU. Ohio State's lost to the Virginia Tech. Who gets in? I think, I think Baylor. So we're talking Baylor, TCU, Alabama, Auburn. We could have that this year. Think about that. Oh, I didn't even think about that. You're right. That game, both of them undefeated. And, um, yeah, but, but I thought that would matter last year, but it didn't really. I mean, TCU's loss at Baylor by three points, 61 to 58. Ohio State lost at home by 14 to Virginia Tech. So it just shows me that all they care about is conference champions. They care I, They care about conference champions. I agree with that. They also wanted big names in that first playoff. I honestly believe they looked at it and said, Ohio State, the TCU, and Baylor. Ohio State. And everyone went, well, well, well Why? They got they got beat up by Virginia Tech. Yeah, well, they won their conference championship game, and they're the un, they're the undisputed conference champion. Okay, mm-hmm. why <laughs> Baylor is the undisputed conference champion? No matter what the Big Twelve says, by their uh, tiebreaker structure for the conference champ, Baylor wasn't it. They just didn't want to say it. They were hoping they could slide two teams in by saying co-champion. So. I, I'm trying to see here what, you know, I like the new playoff committee. I'm very happy that Florida State uh, has Swafford now on the committee. Uh, it's nice to have a, an ACC voice in there who actually matters um, because, you know, Florida State is, you know, like we were talking about the class of ACC. I believe your top, you know, your your top team in the conference should probably represent the playoffs committee. Guys from Wake Forest and Arkansas probably shouldn't be there. And it's not against those two schools, but it is because they don't win. You know, if you're there, yeah. I'll give you judgment. But until then, you're a doormat. Why do I care what you think? <laughs> well, Jonathan, man, we're going to have to cut it off tonight. But great talk. Thanks for joining me, Jason Humphrey. Thanks for calling in and talking about Oregon. And next time we talk, guys, we're less than a month away from college football. Really. The next time we have a show, 
we're going to be less than a month away. And is the Hall of Fame game next Sunday night? I believe it is. Okay. Oh my goodness, we'll be, we're that close. Yep. Next week when we get live on the air, we're going to start doing two nights a week. Uh, probably not, after next Sunday night, we'll do Wednesday and Sunday because we have a lot to do. We may sneak a show in this Wednesday night, but I'll let you know. But, guys, take care. Have a great week, and we will see you Sunday night. All right, y'all. See y'all Sunday. Everybody have a good one. Be safe.